Hey, welcome in episode 168. What's right with Nick Wright writing solo again today? And you know what? I think my little sign is a little crooked, so I'm going to fix that as we get going solo today. And by the way, today's episode is brought to you by Starbucks Ready to Drink Coffee. Tune in to Moments That Matter with the uplifting boost of Starbucks Mocha Frappuccino Chilled Coffee Drink, available now online or wherever you buy your groceries. All right. We'll get right into it today. We have a ton to do. Here is what has missed the cut for today's show. Not on today's show. Bronny, back home and recovering. That is the second USC basketball player to have this happen at practice, cardiac arrest, and seemingly be fine. We'll see what it means for Bronny's career but the fact of the matter is that Bronny was it was is back home. The other player ended up playing later in the season. So God bless him and the family. Patrick Beverly saying the Clippers would have won the title if the bubble didn't happen. It's just ridiculous. And the staff trolling me for my incorrect tweet about Errol Spence Jr. and the Crawford fight. Yeah, listen. I, we can spend a minute on that. That I, Nobody saw that coming. You might have picked Crawford to win, and I managed to make some money on the fight anyway because I kind of bets all over the place on it. But the fact of the matter is nobody thought it was go- that Errol Spence Jr. was going to look out of his league. And if you're not a big fight fan and you're not familiar with him, he is a great fighter, a great fighter was 29-0, had never been knocked down, and Bud Crawford made him look like Glass Joe. It was startling to see that. I do hope they fight again, even though I don't think Errol would win. If he were to win in the rematch in December, it would set up an all-time trilogy, but he obviously was not prepared for what Terrence Crawford had ready for him, who's now the first man ever to be the undisputed four-belt champion in two different weight classes and became an all-timer with that performance. All right, we're going to start the show with something I did not watch live, but I did get up this morning to watch, having DVR'd it, and that is the debacle that was the U.S. Women's National Team game against Portugal. It's a 0-0 draw. They do, by the skin of their teeth, advance to the knockout round. Some context here, and I understand it's different players, it's different eras, all of it. But the U.S. women's national team going into this match was historically 11-0 against Portugal, having outscored them 39 to nothing. This was a game that the women's national team If they didn't win, they were going home. And in stoppage time, in the 90th minute, or I guess the in the 90 plus minute, apologize for the buzzing, Portugal should have won. They had a half breakaway shot that hit the post. It is Honestly, the U.S. is lucky to be advancing. Now, they are advancing with Rose Lavelle being out for their round of 16 game, which probably will come against Sweden. If you're watching this live, we don't know who they're playing. If you're watching this delayed, you know, sometime later in the week, we will know who they're playing. But the odds are they're going to be playing Sweden. It would take some real mayhem in Sweden's group for Sweden not to win their group. And the U.S. didn't win their group. The Netherlands did. The Netherlands was up 5-0 on Vietnam at halftime. I don't even know what the final score of that game was. They annihilated them. And for the first time in this tournament, the U.S. are not favored to win the cup. I think they'll be favored in the match against Sweden. I don't know that they deserve to be. Without Rose Lavelle... With the team showing really no offensive punch this entire tournament, it hasn't looked good. Now, 
You can argue this was the wake-up call they needed. They're going to be a different team. They're going to play more to form uh, in the knockout stage. But there has not been a moment this tournament, even the, what looked like a fine 3-0 victory against Vietnam, where this team has looked like a champion. Just hasn't. And I am not quite sophisticated enough certainly on the women's soccer side of things, to be able to pillory the coach. But the folks who do seem to follow this very closely have been uninspired with the coach. I know Carly Lloyd was very angry that after the game this morning, the women were celebrating and taking pictures with fans. Uh, I have less of an issue with that. But that... Set that aside, the issue is they have not played well. And now, with the latest odds that I see, England and Spain are co-favorites to win the Cup with the U.S. right behind them after the U.S. was significant favorites heading into the tournament. So they, they flatly need to play better. All right, next. So I, this says terrible QB tiers. I don't know that I think these QB tiers are terrible, but I want to spend some significant time on this for a number of reasons. So one of the best things The Athletic and Mike Sando do is they get 50 NFL people, if you will. Uh, it is 30, the 50 league insiders, which are 10 head coaches, 15 coordinators, 10 executives, four quarterbacks, I'm sorry, four quarterback coaches, and a handful of folks involved in coaching and analytics to rank the quarterbacks in the league by tier. You have tier one, two, three, four, five, and I, you guys know I'm a big fan of tiering things rather than just doing flat rankings. And the very top makes sense. Patrick Mahomes, number one, with 50 first-place votes. Number two, Joe Burrow, with 49 first-place votes. I actually, you know, I'd be interested to see the person that said Joe Burrow was not a Tier 1 quarterback. That, to me, is wish-casting. He's clearly a Tier 1 quarterback. It gets a little hairier after that. So Josh Allen got... 44 Tier 1 votes. By the way, I probably would have voted Josh Allen Tier 1. Now, I wouldn't have him as the third best quarterback in football, but he is, even despite the roller coaster nature of him and the almost his almost frenetic style of play, he's a Tier 1 quarterback because the upside's so high. Rodgers comes in next. He had 30 Tier 1 votes and 20 Tier 2 votes. Rodgers not a Tier 1 quarterback, flatly. And the cliff that so many folks, myself included, Max Kellerman and myself maybe most famously, talked about Brady falling off that he never really fell off. I wonder if Rodgers fell off it last year. Wilds brought this point up to me. And I thought it was a smart one. And for Rodgers, folks try to convince themselves, oh no, but he turned it on at the end of last year. He flatly did not. Rodgers, at the end of last year, when they went on that winning streak, he did not play better. His numbers actually were worse. When they went 4-1 and one down the stretch, Rodgers in those five games had 200 yards per game passing, five total passing touchdowns, three interceptions, and an 86 passer rating. He was not better. They won those games because they played the Bears, who were on a 10-game losing streak, the Rams, who were a disaster. They squeaked by against Miami. That was the game that we couldn't figure out how Tua was so awful in the second half with three picks. Then we found out he had suffered another concussion during that game. And Minnesota, they annihilated. Rodgers threw 150, for 159 yards that game. Minnesota turned the ball over four times. 
And then in their final game of the year at home in Lambeau, Rodgers was awful. They scored 16 points, and his final throw as a Packer was a terrible duck Hail Mary when he didn't have to throw a Hail Mary, which made it three straight years. Rodgers' season ended at home when he couldn't make the play. The NFC title game against Brady, he could have run. He didn't. They don't get the ball back. The next year, 10-10 at home against the Niners. When the Niners' offense doesn't score a point the entire game, he just throws Hail Mary after Hail Mary on that three-and-out drive to Devontae Adams. I think it was Lazard. He had wide open over the middle when they only needed a field goal. They then lose, and then at home to the Lions in a playoff game. Rodgers is not a top four quarterback anymore, and he's going. The idea that he, the the only precedent for a quarterback at his age getting better is Brady, and we have reams of data that Rodgers is not Brady. The next tier one quarterback is Herbert. He's the last tier one quarterback. He had twenty nine tier one votes and twenty one tier two votes. I. I'm okay with that. I think having Herbert, though, ahead of Jalen Hurts and the Prince is incorrect. I like Herbert. The Chargers scare the hell out of me. I do think that there is a level of romanticism of his arm talent and his potential when we have not yet seen him take the major leap we expected him to take between year one and year two, or certainly year two and year three, when year three is probably his worst year. I know he was banged up all year. I know they had injuries. I think that's a touch overrated. Jalen Hurts, we just showed you guys some of the rankings. Jalen Hurts comes in next. He had 10 tier one votes, 38 tier two votes, and two tier three votes. That's disrespectful to what the guys accomplished. He Am I dead certain Jalen Hurts is a can't-miss 10-year awesome quarterback? No. But does he have the track? Is he building the track record of it? Is his arrow continually pointing up? Unquestionably. I think he should have been a Tier 1 guy. Lamar comes in next. Lamar had 8 Tier 1 votes, 37 Tier 2 votes, and 5 Tier 3 votes. I think that's correct. I think Lamar is right beneath the Tier 1 quarterbacks, and I will believe that until he becomes more consistent in the layups. Then there's the Prince, Trevor. He had three Tier 1 votes, 33 Tier 2 votes, and 14 Tier 3 votes. If you think Peyton Manning 2.0 is a Tier 3 quarterback, you're just not paying attention. The guy is a future, if not current, superstar. He might win league MVP this year. He and Ridley are going to be dynamic. He had the second most playoff touchdowns of anyone in the league last year. He was spectacular in the second half of the season. You almost have to throw out year one under Urban Meyer. I think Trevor's underrated, but don't listen to me. I've only been right about him and the Jags every step of the way. Dak is number nine which is about right. He had one Tier 1 vote, 36 Tier 2 votes, and 13 Tier 3 votes. And then there's Matt Stafford at number 10. And I'm not going to go through all the voting on everyone else. I actually wanted to talk about this. For This is actually kind of a commentary on running back pay. So just follow me down this path. Because Stafford is 10. Deshaun Watson is 11. Kirk Cousins, 12. And then Tier 3, Kyler, Carr, Goff, Russ, Tua, who while I've been down on him, that's too low for Tua. Jimmy G, 18. Daniel Jones, 19. Geno, 20. Justin Fields, who as the variance for him has to be the most. Tannehill, 22. Mac Jones, 23. Okay. So here's why I wanted to talk about this. You want to know why 
Daniel Jones, who you know is barely a top 20 quarterback by this ranking, and I think that's a fair ranking. I think Daniel Jones, when you incorporate his athleticism, his arm talent, and then the flip side, the limited nature of his accuracy, the fact that if you ask him to make big-time throws, he's going to turn the ball over. He's just barely in the top 20, and I think Geno's a little underrated there, but that's fine. This is why quarterbacks are going to just take up a bigger and bigger percentage of the salary cap for the near future until we are able to have a level of competence from the below-average quarterbacks that currently do does not exist. The fact of the matter is that there are not 20 human beings alive right now who can play the quarterback position better than Daniel Jones. And Daniel Jones is barely competent at it. That Ryan Tannehill is firmly in the top 25. This Listen, I didn't take economics in high school. I'm not, or in college either. I'm not a stocks guy where you talk about market forces. But it doesn't, you don't have to be John Nash to understand that right now, the best thing going for good but not great quarterbacks is the fact that the cliff you fall off from the average to the incompetent is steep and sudden. And your team cannot function with the incompetent ones. Now, everyone beneath Jones isn't destined to be incompetent. You have Fields, you have Pickett, you have Purdy, you have Love. You have a lot of young guys who maybe one day will be good. But there may exist a world in 15 years where because quarterback training becomes so specialized and because seven-on-seven seven becomes so ubiquitous and because high school and college teams start throwing the ball more and more and more, that there is a surplus of medi mediocre quarterbacks. The moment that happens, the NFL salary structure will turn on its head. And what I mean by that is, if we ever get to a place where there are 60 Ryan Tannehill, Mac Jones level quarterbacks. Then the Daniel Joneses of the world stop getting paid. Jimmy G's of the world stop. Derek Carr's stop getting paid. It's what's happened with running backs because there's 200 potential Isaiah Pacheco's. You can't justify paying the good but not great ones, and even the great ones are having a hard time really getting paid. And so I hope this is, I'm making this clear to the audience. Right now, when you see Justin Herbert makes $53 million a year and you're about to see Burrow make $55 million, you have to recognize Though that $53 million is really only about 13 to $15 million because $40 million is the anchored cost of competence. And so you're, if, you, if you don't have a quarterback on a rookie deal and you want a competent quarterback, Maybe you can say the anchored cost is what Carr makes. So what is not what Daniel Jones makes. So Carr, Derek Carr, what does he make? 35? He got four. No, nah, he got I mean he got four for 150. Now that's it's really three 
for 100 because that last year's a $50 million year. So, yeah, call the anchored cost 35 Right now, the price to get in the room of a non-rookie contract competent quarterback is $35 million. So, Justin Herbert doesn't really cost you 53 He costs you 18 And when, and I know that sounds counterintuitive, but the only comp I can give you is, and I'm not the first person to use this example, but if you go to a fancy steakhouse and you've decided, I'm getting a steak, if the cheapest steak is $60 and the fancy steak is $80, you're you yes you are spending $80 but if you were if you want the fancy one but if you are dead set on getting the steak no matter what a steak you're spending 20 extra dollars cuz your floor was 60 and there's a logical it's not a lot I think maybe people, it might be a logical fallacy in some regards but it's a it's where you're anchored at and if you are an NFL team and you are dead set, we are not going to, we didn't draft a quarterback, and we are not going to go with one of these retreads, the, a guy who was a Baker Mayfield who was flamed out in other places. We want an established player. Your minimum cost is $35 million. So when people wonder... How can Herbert make 53? It's because if the Chargers wanted to move, we're like, we don't want to pay him that. They're not opening, unless they draft a quarterback, opening up 53 million. They're probably only opening up 18 because then they just go sign Garoppolo or Carr. And I know they were never moving on for from Herbert. The converse to that is what's happening with running backs. And I don't know the what the economic terminology for reverse anchoring would be but when Jonathan Taylor wants call it 15 million dollars a year if the Colts are saying to themselves well we can we can't get Jonathan Taylor but we can get 75 percent of his production for literally 5% of his cost for 700 grand a year via a sixth round draft pick. That then is going to work against all of these guys. So in a weird way, and I tried to talk about this last week, I just find this, and again, I hope the audience is interested in this. I find this type of stuff in a hard cap sport fascinating. The best thing that could happen to running backs is there to be fewer good ones. And the worst thing that could happen to quarterbacks is for there to be more competency. And I do think both of those things are coming. Because again, if we're in a logical market, you are going to have more and more of our elite young athletes specializing at quarterback. And you're going to have fewer and fewer of our elite young athletes specializing at running back. And the supply is going to shift. But until it does, the the quarterback piece of the pie is just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And every other position is going to be squeezed a bit. All right. Again, I knew I would spend a lot of time on that. I'm fascinated by it. This is one of those times where maybe I needed a co-host today because one of my uh, my daughter or my son or my wife would have said that was wildly boring, but I, I find it fascinating. All right, next, Aaron Rodgers uh, came after Sean Payton, and I, I gave him credit for it. The producer's right. Who asked Rodgers to be the fun police? Is he a fearless leader standing up for his guy or just being petty? Listen. 
I don't think the Jets are going to have a good year. I don't think Rodgers is a great player anymore. I do think he has handled this offseason perfectly. And I think what he did for Nathaniel Hackett there was also just very kind. I think Nathaniel Hackett, who had the entire media flambe him for an entire, is you know, his one shot at being a head coach, then having another head coach, a Hall of Fame maybe, caliber head coach come after him in a way you never see a coach go after another coach I think it was great for him that Rodgers had his back I also think that the Jets best case scenario is fighting for that final wild card spot that is also I don't think the Broncos can do it but that is their best case scenario and the fact that Rodgers is turning the screws a bit on the Broncos and adding pressure to them and keeping this a story I think smart. So I listen, I, I don't Rogers talked to Peter King. Evidently, I haven't read the whole article, but he said that, you know, going into the darkness retreat, he really was planning on retiring. I don't buy that. There's a lot of Rogers stuff Rogers tries to sell that I don't buy. But I think this was a good move. I think Sean Payton made a massive error. I also think Sean Payton clearly is one of the most well liked coaches amongst media of anybody because he got mostly a pass for this when I thought it was a massive unforced error that truly ratcheted up the pressure and expectations on a Broncos team that aside from the obvious upgraded head coach the biggest thing they had going for them this year was they didn't have that the pressure and expectations they had last year so I think Peyton really screwed up here I think Rodgers did a good thing all right, lastly, to Joe Burrow. Uh, last week, Joe Burrow said he wasn't in a rush to sign an extension. Then he suffered a calf injury at practice, going to keep him out several weeks. He's had a bunch of injuries already. Should the Bengals hesitate to sign him the biggest deal in NFL history? Absolutely not. Second-best quarterback in football. We just talked quarterback salaries. He's going to get the biggest quarterback contract ever. He was going to get it with or without the injury. I have one major concern for Burrow and then one criticism of the Bengals. The major concern for Burrow is not that the calf injury is going to turn into an Achilles injury or the calf injury is going to turn into some months-long saga. My concern for Burrow is if I would not let him take the field in the regular season until he is at 100% from a mobility perspective. Their offensive line is still a work in progress. And if he can't protect himself fully when to open their season, they have Miles Garrett followed by that Baltimore front, followed by Aaron Donald and the Rams, and the Rams aren't going to mean any good, but Aaron Donald's awesome, followed by Jeffrey Simmons and the Titans. You can't have Burrow compromised to where he can't protect himself. That's my concern for the Bengals. My criticism of the Bengals is this. Joe Burrow had a sleeve on that calf. That means there was some level of tenderness or aggravation before he suffered the injury. Why was he out there in the first week of training camp with any type of nick or cut or soft tissue aggravation that could flare up and keep him out several weeks? Why would you not tell him he is sitting until last year he sat like he's missed part of camp throughout his career? Why would you have him out there? That part I flatly do not understand. We play a little Nick Chat GPT next. What's right? Warmer, sunnier days are approaching, so fuel up for them with Factors No Prep No Mess Meals. Factor will help you meet your wellness goals just in time for summer, thanks to a vast menu of chef-crafted, never-frozen meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. These fresh meals are ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. 
variety. They have that. Factor has 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. Working on wellness goals, Factor has you covered with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust. How do they taste? They're delicious. From breakfast to dessert, stay fueled with easy, nutritious, and delicious options. What about quality? Each Factor meal is restaurant quality with premium ingredients like filet mignon, blackened salmon, and shrimp. So start spending less time in the kitchen now because you don't have to shop, prep, cook or clean up make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine what are you waiting for head to factormeals.com slash nick right 50 and use code nick right 50 to get 50 percent off your first box plus 20 percent off your next month that's code nick right 50 at factormeals.com slash nick right 50 to get 50 percent off your first box plus 20 percent off your next month while your subscription is active welcome back in episode 168 and listen as you guys know my life moves moves fast. We got the two shows, kids at home, and sometimes late in the day or early in the day, I could just use a pick-me-up. And Starbucks ready-to-drink coffee delivers an uplifting boost that helps you tune into the moments that matter wherever you are. Bottled Frappuccino chilled coffee drink inspired by Starbucks Cafe favorites comes in four delicious flavors, mocha, vanilla, this is caramel, and coffee. I like to start my day early in the morning with coffee, especially when I'm recording a new episode of What's Right. My go-to drink is Starbucks, ready to drink coffee for that uplifting boost I need to conquer the day. Sorry, taking a sip right now. Love the range of Starbucks ready to drink coffee. Whether I want to grab a Starbucks Frappuccino chilled coffee drink or nitro cold brew, there's so many good choices for whatever mood I'm in. Starbucks coffee. Ready for right now. Shop the full lineup online or in-store wherever you buy your groceries. All right, before we get to the game we're going to play, Jonathan Taylor news. Jonathan Taylor demanded a trade after Jim Irsay, one of Jim Irsay's many unhinged tweets. The team is claiming he got hurt. He says he's fine. The producers want to ask uh, if the Chiefs should trade for Taylor. And a reminder, by the way, you guys can ask me whatever you want. We'll do that in the next segment. All right, before, no, the Chiefs shouldn't trade for Taylor. I will give you some teams that should consider it. But first, this non-football injury list threat by the Colts is a dangerous game for any team to play. So... Again, Jonathan Taylor is saying his back is not injured. The Colts reportedly are threatening to put him on the non-football injury list, which would mean he does not get paid while he's on it. With the belief being he suffered a back injury while working out slash training in the offseason, but not at the Colts facility. Okay. I understand the non-football injury list being used for, and I feel terribly for the guy, but Naeem Hines. Naeem Hines, the Bills running back kick returner, was on a jet ski, got crashed into, and suffered a significant injury. That is the definition of a non-football injury. Now, he makes so little money, maybe the Bills will end up paying him, but that's what the thing exists for. If a guy's out there rollerblading, I don't know if people are rollerblading these days, or playing basketball or, you know, and gets injured, teams don't have to pay you. But the idea that you could be risking your entire salary by training for professional football in the offseason, if you get injured, the reason I'm saying this is a dangerous game is teams obviously expect, demand, and want players to train in their own time. And if you were to withhold Jonathan Taylor's salary, if I'm the Players Association, I am sending out a league-wide memorandum. Guys, 
don't train in the offseason. Do OTAs, do mini camp, do training camp. But if you are risking your the entirety of your salary and your contract, if you get hurt training for your team, if you're not with your team, that to me opens a very risky door. So there's that part of it. Next part of it, I know there is a belief amongst a lot of people that Jonathan Taylor, no one's going to want to trade for him because you're going to have to give up a draft pick and sign him to a new contract. I don't believe that's accurate. I think if you trade for Jonathan Taylor, you don't have to sign him to a new contract. It might not be, listen, John, this not, might not be what Jonathan Taylor wants to hear, but Jonathan Taylor might have enough leverage within Indy to force them to give him a new contract. It doesn't look like he does. He might have enough leverage to force them to trade him. I'm not sure if he does. I do not think Jonathan Taylor would have enough leverage to force a trade and then when he gets to the next team, demand a new contract. What? I think that... You could trade for him and say, listen, we got you out of that situation and we very well may give you a contract after this year. But we're not signing you to a new contract. Jonathan Taylor's not going to, what's he going to do? Not report? Sit out the year? He's not going to do it. And so I don't think just by trading for him, you that means you have to give him a new deal. That's first of all. Second of all, who should trade for him? No, the Chiefs shouldn't. I think Pacheco's good. I also like Daneric Prince, this undrafted kid they have, and they don't need to spend resources at the running back position. Now, they could have drafted Jonathan Taylor and said they drafted a running back in Clyde Edwards-Alaire a few years ago. That was a mistake, but it is what it is. The Bengals, obviously, because I think Joe Mixon is a deteriorating asset. <coughs> Pardon me. So if you really wanted to go all in, the Bengals and the Chargers would be two AFC teams that I think would consider saying, screw it, let's do it. And he would be an instant impact difference maker for them. If the Colts didn't want to trade him within the AFC, the team, and I understand this team has spent, I think, consecutive or at least two of the last three drafts, they've spent second round picks on running backs. Uh, yeah, the, uh, the last two. But they're both injured right now. And that's Seattle. I know Kenneth Walker's really good, but he's hurt. Zach Charbonnet, their draft pick from this year in the second round, he's hurt. It would be a crazy use of resources, but they have a very good, I think it will be very good, young defense. They have Geno on a cheap deal. They, You know Pete Carroll loves to run the ball. I... I wonder if, and I also wonder almost if they could trade, what is Zach Charbonnet's injury? Now I'm really, you know, kind of going full fantasy GM here. Um, but let me, so Zach Charbonnet's injury, uh, just shoulder discomfort. So I wonder if instead of trading draft picks, you could trade this running back you took in the second round to Indy, cost-controlled for the next four years for them, for Jonathan Taylor. Uh, Kenneth Walker's week-to-week -week with his groin injury. I would keep an eye on that. I could see the Seahawks and John Schneider doing that. All right, time for our game now. Uh, Nick GPT, where I essentially make sense of the senseless, is what they say. Sorry, Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott was approached twice about starring in season two of quarterback, but declined, saying, I get enough media. This team gets enough coverage. Nick GPT, why did Dak really say no? I think that's right. I actually buy him on that. I also think that it is a legitimate commitment to let these guys mic you up and follow you around all year. I also think that... Mahomes, that's that's a tough act to follow, man. He's such a badass in that series, and they win the Super Bowl. 
I now it doesn't surprise me that Burrow might do it because Burrow's got the you know a he probably thinks they don't get enough coverage. B Burrow has that level of confidence and he'll be awesome with it. But I I think that's a smart call by De- by Dak. All right, now to the Bills. The Bills were so inspired by your banners, they decided to hang one of their own. Talk about life imitating art. Sean McDermott hung a banner of the Lombardi saying, it's a daily reminder of what we're here to do. Do Nick GPT, does this compute? I mean, this is farcical. A team that has never won the Lombardi trophy has a giant banner. You couldn't script this better for me. Of a Lombardi trophy in their practice facility to try to inspire them, I suppose. This is once again the Bills buying into the hype prematurely and setting themselves up for a rough season. I am a seller on the Bills this year. They didn't upgrade wide receiver two. They're going to ask Josh to run less, which is smart, but will hurt their offense. They lost Leslie Frazier. Diggs is pissed about something we still don't totally understand. The division is tougher, and they're talking Lombardi trophies when they need to be talking about finding a way to get out of round two. Next, to Dame. The NBA sent out a memo basically saying, hey, agents and players, don't do what Dame is doing. What's the NBA actually saying? I think what the NBA is actually saying, and I actually back the NBA up on this is we do not like nor do we endorse the trend pardon me I had to take a sip of my delicious Starbucks coffee of NBA guys double dipping and by double dipping I mean getting the security of the contract extension with their own team and then also specifically demanding trades. Now, I w- and I haven't heard other people make this point because there is the obvious criticism of guys taking a contract extension then demanding a trade. It is actually better for their own, their, their previous teams that they do that rather than just leave in free agency. It would have been better for the Thunder if Durant had signed an extension and then demanded to be traded to Golden State or traded at all. It would have been better for the Cavs if LeBron had signed an extension and then demanded to be traded than just leaving for nothing. The problem is, if and what I think the NBA is really trying to avoid, is guys taking the extension and then demanding to be traded to a specific place. But, again, it's better than guys just leaving outright in free agency for the returning teams. But the specific team demands which handcuffs you, that obviously is not better for those teams because they can't build out the team the way they want to. All right, to Travis Kelsey. After punching a couple teammates, Kelsey tweeted, he's got to be a better teammate and leader. Nick GBT, what is Kelsey actually saying? I believe he's actually saying that. I disagree with him. Now, I don't want him punching teammates, most notably because he could hurt his hand. And is this, Nick, are you being a hypocrite because of how you felt about Draymond? No, of course not. Guys, hitting another teammate in the helmet in football training camp is not at all the same as cold cocking your teammate damn near breaking his jaw at basketball training camp. Not the same at all. The reason I don't mind it is if anyone was worried that Kelsey hosting SNL, you know, potentially becoming the GOAT tight end, winning a second Super Bowl, all of this stuff, didn't have his eye on the ball, you now don't have to worry about that. The guy is so fired up and so intense, he's flipping out in consecutive days at training camp, I'm not bothered by it. Michael Jordan's trainer, Tim Grover, attempted to end the GOAT debate by saying, ever heard a story of anyone getting robbed for a pair of bronze? Nick GPT, is the GOAT debate over? No, of course not. But I will say, as arrogantly as it sounds, 
I effing told you so. There has not been a take of mine in the last six months that I was more roundly criticized for than when I said on this show and on the TV show that by the rules of engagement that have been set up by the Jordan acolytes, Jordan's ownership tenure with the Hornets, which was an unmitigated disaster, and, well, uh, remind me, I'll remind myself to get back to that in a moment, by those that that should be at least a small part of the GOAT debate in the negative column for Jordan, purely because folks have used how dope his shoes are and how well they sell and the movie Air and all of that as a pro, a, a slash in the pro column for him on the GOAT debate. And folks acted like I had six heads. Oh, Nick, no one does that. No one talks about the sneakers when it comes to the GOAT stuff. Even though everyone knows people do and have, and now we have Tim Grover at a giant speech, not as a throwaway line, he said, this is the mic drop moment. Like, boom, big joker, look at the sneakers. I told you so. Also, I a lot of people, I want to be very careful about this, how I phrase this. But there seem to be more than a few credible reports that I wish someone would, like the Wall Street Journal, would put a reporter on to really nail down. But there seem to be a lot of people in the financial services sector that believe Jordan sold the Hornets because he owed hundreds of millions of dollars because he was one of the major shorters of the GameStop stock. And again, I I have not run down that story, but I have now heard it from three different places, most recently from last night from someone who I really feel would know that this is exactly what happened. And if that's true, that Jordan's, uh, I mean, obsessive gambling got to the point to where he had to sell his basketball team, honestly, that kind of makes me like him more. It's also hilarious. Because no one has quite explained why he sold the team. Oh, Nick, he made billions. Well, it wasn't a... The, 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 yes, but he was never not going to make billions. And of course, those teams are only going up, up, up in valuations. And they're about to have a brand new television deal where they'd be worth even more. So the timing of it was curious. And the fact that he announced he was selling it before... They knew whether, you know, they could have gotten Wimby. He had, it was announced he was selling it before the draft lottery. It's an intriguing story that I hope uh, the Wall Street Journal or Fortune or somebody can run down. Uh, Elon Musk, by the way, Changed the X, which is the new Twitter slogan. Twitter, or I'm sorry, changed the X slogan, used to be Twitter, to blaze your glory. Nick GPT, what the bleep does this mean? I, listen, I gotta tell you, I, I think Musk has done an objectively cartoonishly bad job. I also use Twitter as much as ever. Not more, but my usage has not gone down. 
Now, my enjoyment of it, my ability to, you know, check mentions is dead. There are certain things that have just gotten objectively worse. But as far as, like, the none of those threads I never signed up for, Blue Sky, all these things. Twitter has such a massive head start that no matter how... I personally reprehensible I find Musk to be. And I mean he's he's out here tweeting about white genocide in South Africa. Like, give me a break, buddy. Um I it is still an invaluable resource for me, and it has not broken. I know a lot of people were like, oh, it's gonna break. They fired all the engineers, and it is clunkier, and there have been days it has been down. But I don't care what they call it. As long as it's still the place that has Joe Burrow, you know, I saw that Joe Burrow suffered his calf injury minutes after it happened. Before it was on any television network, it was while it was live on TV, and we had it on the show immediately. And it was because of Twitter, still super useful. All right, lastly. The producer saw a very vague tweet from Nemanze the other day that read, there's apparently this podcast on YouTube that just spreads misinformation about me. Nick GPT, who could Nemanze be talking about? I think he's almost assuredly talking about us, maybe his sister and I, when we were doing the ghost conversation. But Nemanze, if you see this, it would... I... I really pray he's talking about a different podcast. I should text him. I'm going to text him now, and and maybe he'll respond. Uh, hold on. Demonze, were we the podcast you were tweeting about? Because it would thrill me if it's a different podcast. If Demonze has gotten big enough that there is a podcast other than this one that's like, hey, you know the Demonze guy from What's Right, and then they're spreading lies about him. I know it'd be a pain in the ass and stressful for him, but that would be a badge of honor. There's a, there. in fact, hold on. Let me see if I can find it. Someone sent me, Nick, hold on, a, a YouTube video. Let me see if I can, oh, here it is. There's a YouTube video right now that has 75,000 views from a guy that seems to take himself very seriously that claims it's 21 minutes long to be an expose that I'm a clutch sports client, like he's uncovered it, which, again, is something I have talked about publicly for two years since it's been true, that's first of all. Second of all, it is such a backwards understanding of that. People are like, oh, how can you take Nick's LeBron take seriously when Clutch is paying him? Guys, your agents don't pay you. You pay them. And I am not, I, I am repped by UTA and my agent is Ryan Hayden, who's excellent. UTA and Clutch are partners. Rich is on the board of UTA, and Rich is the one, Rich Paul of Clutch Sports, who hooked me up with Ryan Hayden, and that's who I work with. That's kind. Of, that's how the business works or whatever. Rich isn't negotiating my contracts. Have I ever bounced business stuff off of Rich? Of course, he's brilliant on that stuff. Yeah. Uh, but they don't pay me. I pay them. If anything, Rich and them should be out there talking about how I'm the GOAT, not the other way around. Quick break right back. Answer your questions. What's right? What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer. With over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros, 
Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. All right, welcome back in What's Right with Nick Wright. Let's answer some fan questions. Uh, Producer Dan asks, who's the more incompetent owner, MJ or Elon? It's MJ. It's not even close. Elon's a pain in the ass, but he has. you can't say he's the worst in modern history in his business. And Jordan was, the, as far as on-court performance, the worst owner of the 21st century. It's not even close. Jarek Enlow asks, Do you think any current quarterback will finish their career with more than two Super Bowls aside from Mahomes? No. Three-plus? Two, two quarterbacks at the same time winning three-plus? No, I don't. It's never happened. Uh... I mean, Bradshaw won four in the 70s. Montana won four in the 80s. Aikman won three in the 90s. Brady won six over a 20-year stretch. No one over, you know, in those periods got more than two. No, I absolutely don't. Uh, Jose Castro says, do you think Alcaraz should be favored in the U.S. Open over Djokovic? I told you guys I'm picking him in every major. Uh, from from for now until 2028, Alcaraz is going to be my pick to win every major, and I'll win more money than I'll lose. Tyler Vaughn says, "Let's say you could control the Chiefs' destiny. What would you prefer? This season they go undefeated and win the Super Bowl, or they have the NFL's first three peat, but never consecutive Super Bowls afterwards." Well, I'm gonna listen. The I don't totally understand the second part of that question. They get a three-peat, but never consecutive. Let's just, what would I like more? Undefeated this year and win the Super Bowl and don't win next year, or they three-peat, but don't go undefeated in either season. I would prefer the three-peat. For two reasons. One is, I think it's harder to duplicate. We have seen seen teams come closer to undefeated than we've seen to three-peating. And two is, I, I think it would be good. I think it would be a cooler carrot to dangle out there for every individual season thereafter. Let's try to go undefeated. As opposed, if they were to go undefeated, win the Super Bowl, and then lose next year, you can't really dangle the three-peat carrot because that's a multi-season, you know, objective. If they go, if they were to three-peat, you would still every year be able to say, "What have we not done? We're not. We haven't gone undefeated." Nick, are you getting ahead of yourself talking about this stuff? Absolutely not the greatest player ever and a guy who's going to be one of the three greatest coaches ever. No, I'm not getting ahead of myself. This guy says, oh no, Nick is a caramel pronouncer. I don't know. Caramel, caramel? I don't know. There's an A. There's two A's, I mean. Seems like it's caramel. Sheldon Johnson says, why did you give Trevor a pass when he had a bad coaching staff, but not Justin Fields when he had a coach who didn't believe in him and Matt Nagy? I'm not anti-Justin Fields. I, the... The the I the the I, I I'm flatly not anti Justin Fields. I'm not arguing that Justin Fields isn't gonna be really good. But for the record, Trevor had one of the worst coaching staffs in NFL history. 
Matt Nagy is a pretty good quarterbacks coach, and Trevor's just flatly better than Justin Fields. But I Justin Fields might end up being awesome. We haven't seen it yet. We have seen it already from Trevor. Uh, producer said we found the podcast shading Demonte. Wait, don't put it. Don't do it publicly. Wait, so it's actually not us that he's talking about. Oh, it's the Joe Rogan podcast. Okay, that's not true. You guys got me excited. You guys got me very excited that you guys had actually found it. Um, I would have been so happy uh, if we had actually found <coughs> uh, the podcast shading Demonze. Demonze has not, has he texted me back yet? Uh, Demonze has not uh, texted me back yet. We will report on Thursday, hopefully with Danielle along our side. Uh, we will report back on that, and we've got a ton we got a ton to get to throughout the rest of the week. Oh, today I'm on with Colin. I'm also on Colin's podcast tonight. And 3 o'clock today on FS1, 2023. First things first, quarterback pyramid. We will get into that extensively. All that's later today on Fox Sports 1. You can see me there. Have a great day, everybody. What's right? What's right?